On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are looking for demons down under in what we do in the shadow spin-off Wellington Paranormal on Sky, tackling demons of a different nature in racist 1950s America in Amazon's Them, and dealing with an unwanted guest in Channel 5's Intruder. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show that is powered almost entirely by chocolate this close to Easter. I'm not going to lie, I am the proud owner of no less than three, three giant Easter eggs this year and was in no way put off by the revelation on social media this week that one cream egg contains approximately 18 metric tons of sugar. But joining me on this, the sweetest of all TV podcasts, are my two co-hosts, the Ben and Jerry of modern TV journalism, Terry White and Boyd Hilton. Now, let's cut right to this, the most pressing question of all. What are your Easter eggs of choice? Are you joking? No. <laughs> grown-ups, who the fuck eats Easter eggs? I mean, oh, all of us. Yeah. All, all I mean, humans, yeah. Terry. Oh I don't know why, don't know why you're so grown up all of a sudden. <laughs> but, like, yeah. I mean, so hang on, Terry. I, do you mean to say on. you don't have Easter eggs? No. You don't just buy yourself, go out and buy yourself a great big chicken flake um, one. My boyfriend bought some the other week and we just set them. Um, I mean, I, I eat chocolate. It's just I'm not a small child, so I don't do Easter eggs. Hang on. I don't recall ever having watched you eat chocolate. This has just come to me. <laughs> this is I'm a- mistrustful of people who don't eat chocolate. Why is this? I do eat it. Um, what, what chocolate do you eat? I don't see. Uh, I enjoy a minstrel. I enjoy a flake. I enjoy a caramel. I enjoy a caramac. I enjoy a Snickers bar. Oh, quite old school. school. I enjoy a twirl. There is very few chocolate products that I dislike. Let's be frank. I approve of all of those, even the Mm. caramac, which is quite a divisive one. Caramac is legendary. Caramac's my favourite. Yeah, I like caramac. It's quite sickly, though. You wouldn't want a whole egg made of caramac. Same with white chocolate. Like a milky bar egg would do you in. What are your your chocolate (laughs) choices in egg form? you can't get if you could get caramac if you could get me a caramac egg tomorrow I'd, I'd absolutely love it. But you now they now call it blonde, don't they? Blonde what? chocolate. I think it. Yeah, it's a phrase for there's white chocolate, there's blonde yeah. chocolate, and blonde, blonde I believe chocolate. is kind of what caramac was. It's kind of like a caramelized version of somewhere between white and milk chocolate. Um, you, if you look, if you go in, um, believe me, I've looked. So if you go in M and S, there's a massive thick blonde chocolate egg. Um, that would probably be incredible. I'm very intense because mm. it's, it's going to be as sweet as caramel. I'm a huge fan of Kinder Eggs anyway. I love Kinder Eggs. So the whole, you know, which are on sale all the time, but a grand Kinder Egg Easter Egg special would probably be my favourite. But really? I did, the other day I bought for my friend a very good Darth Vader type um, Easter Egg, which you can get in M&S. Yeah, hang on. But this is M&S chocolate, isn't it? It is M&S chocolate, yeah. Mm, not holding no, with not that. Good? Not really? holding with that. See, yeah, I'm I'm pretty old school with this. Like, I can't be dealing with, you know, any of your posh chocolates. You can take your green and blacks and whatever it is and throw them in the sea. I'm all about Cadbury's chocolate, which I believe scientifically isn't even technically chocolate. But I love Cadbury's milk, dairy milk chocolate so yeah. much. Like, all yeah. of my eggs have to be, like, you know, <laughs> give me, give me a round tree one. Galaxy, like, that can just fuck right off. It has to be dairy milk for me. And there's something special about the egg configuration. Like, a bar of dairy milk, lovely. But in an egg configuration, there's something special about it. And here's a controversial one. Always, always refrigerated. What? All of my eggs go in the fridge. <laughs> like there's something. Crazy. Yeah. So you have to put them in when they're whole, and then you take them out, and then you smash them on the side to break them into fragments. Uh, and then you get the weird. little chilled, hard chocolate fragments. Oh, so good. That's so weird. good. The litmus configuration. Yeah, yeah I'm, a, um, I'm a big fan of this. In fact, they've this year I didn't notice at my local Sainsbury's, they've got a crunchy, <laughs> giant 10-pound crunchy Easter egg with the little honeycomb bits baked into the egg shell, which is wow. quite controversial. Wow. So. Yeah. Yeah, I might, I might, uh, might be tempted to get one of those on the weekend. We shall see. 
we shall see. Uh, but yeah, dairy milk, eggs, big fan, big fan. I'm also a fan of the um, Turkish Delight, the little fries Turkish Delight bars, oh, which no. I know nobody likes. Like, no. So I think I'm the only person That's the I know That's who will eat a fries Turkish Delight. That and Bounty, Ew. absolutely no. Well, I like Bounty. No, do you? Oh, no, I do I like stand. Bounty. Bounty's another <laughs> controversial one. I'm mm. suckered in by the adverts, um, which I always remember as a kid thinking... Like, when I put it in my mouth, I'm going to think I'm on a Caribbean island <laughs> yeah, that's with, like, a man pouring can- coconut water on me. <laughs> <laughs> Only you can make bounties pornographic. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> Well, flakes. I mean, flakes. Well, those efforts were un- oh unbelievable. Oh my god! Oh they? yes, only the Trying crumbliest, flakiest chocolate. Trying point. to make flakes some kind of sex aid. Orgasming <laughs> in a canoe while going under a waterfall. Yeah. They're just like eat flake. in a bath. In a bath. <laughs> oh, I remember flake the in a bath. Oh, there's a bath one that was unbelievable. Was I didn't. Past, yeah. So I remember her. Dan- um, Daniel James. <laughs> Daniel is my boyfriend's name. But um, I shout at him in the same way I shout at James apparently because that's why. I reach for his name oh, then God. when I hit that particular pitch. But our generation, um, and I'm including you in that, our generation, <laughs> that was the advert. She's in the bath. She's yeah. naked. She, yeah. she, a masturbatory a flake advert. I mean, I always thought she was committing suicide or drowning, but everybody <laughs> I mean, else apparently, yeah. <laughs> apparently thought she was, you know, getting her end away. And... The bath spill, the bath water spills over. The metaphor yeah. for orgasm. Oh my god! As she bites into the flake, you must remember this. No, this I remember one the, the one famous- where she's doing similar to herself, but in a canoe, and what? she's fil- she's in a canoe there and she's filleting well, the flake yeah. in true. a canoe on a lake. And then she, there's a waterfall, and it's all very, you know. <laughs> there were a few, it's a bit but much. The, I think the bath one is the iconic one. Maybe yeah. you know you weren't allowed to watch it. Maybe you're I mean, <laughs> I was probably yeah, I was sent to bed. It was yeah. it was on when oh, V no, was on. Flakes yeah. coming on. Class, I mean, classic James Ray is like the canoe one. <laughs> Hang on. How am I associated with canoes all it's of a sudden? It's just if there's going to be sexy woman in a bath, decadent, or there's going to be woman lodged in a canoe. You're always going to be canoe guy, aren't you? Canoodling, if you will. <laughs> yeah. um, yes, okay, fair enough. Um, but do you remember the that, that awful, awful Yorkie campaign, that Not For Girls campaign they did, oh, yeah. which is comparatively yeah. recent. Like, what the fuck was that? And how did they get away with it? Oh, I mean... Yeah. Even had the little anti-girl symbol on the O of Yorkie. Mm-hmm. And, you know, all of this to cover up the fact that Yorkie chocolate is just not as nice as dairy milk. Just saying. Wow. wow. Anyway, anyway, we've digressed enough. So let's move on to what we've been watching this week and what indeed have we been watching other than people, you know, doing naughty things with chocolate in canoes. Well, Boyd and I watched the same thing. Um, we all watched the same thing, yeah. actually, but James okay, watched okay. it out of sync. So, 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 <laughs> just just to, to jump in here, we had some, uh, to, to jump in here, not here, my mum would go mad if I dropped my age off that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in here, in here. Um, last week, we had a little unforgotten spoilery thing, and a few people did go in to say they had to swerve off the road, slam off the one brakes person. and stop the car. Okay, one person. One person so yeah. that we didn't spoil unforgotten for them. Um, so I'm toying with the idea of, putting this at the end of the episode but then i've just realized i'm saying this i just can't be bothered so yeah. what oh, i'm gonna on. say is- first of all can we can i just say about <laughs> spoiler culture right it's getting out of yeah. hand listen yeah. on twitter on twitter the creator of the show and the star of the show tweeted yes. about it the night it went out and it was one a minute dick move 10. no it wasn't no it that wasn't. was a dick move if you and i thought that no. at the time and uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar retweeted a thing from the show and mentioned it. And I was like, oh, dude, you should not be doing no, that. No, 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 no. So what is, because do you know what? Somebody once shouted at me. Yes, rightly so. This, it's probably me. But on this programme, 
talking about the Ark of Charmed. Which, had, which finished Aaron, what, 14 years ago? The statute of limitations said, is lifted. Oh, thank you for recommending yeah. Charm. Oh my not that God. there's not much point fucking watching it because you ruined the entire thing. And I was like, I'm so sorry for telling you what happened at the end of a show that aired 14 years ago. So I think, I think the, the point Boyd is trying to make is people now have a choice about when they watch that TV show. But what it's become is you have to you have to have every eventuality in your head, which essentially means you can't talk about it ever. No. The point of television has always been those water cooler moments. Everyone comes together, talks about what they've just seen. And if I don't, I said on I said some general sentiments on Twitter, but said I don't want to do spoilers because I didn't want the world shouting at me. Well done. But also, like, if the creators of the show want to talk about this amazing moment of telly they just created and had a yeah. response to, then fucking let them. If you don't want to know what happens, don't follow the creator well, of the show also, or mute the words. Don't, don't go, go on, on Twitter. fucking Twitter. There's an option. No. Don't go on Twitter. Yeah, it's, no. tw- it's like Twitter has become such <laughs> yes. a crucial part of people's lives. They can't even conceive <laughs> of not going on it 24-7, even when there's a show all about the last episode yes. of a show that they know is going to be discussed on that fucking website. Yeah, why do you go on I Twitter mean, at that point, Jake? Exactly. Why would that you? Is, you are both catastrophically wrong, and let me tell you why. Because you are violating the first law of social media, which is don't be a dick. And the problem with Twitter and all these things is you cannot stop these things unless you think of putting in like block filters on keywords for every single yeah. show that no, no, airs. No, no, you no, cannot go on stop Twitter. it coming up. Don't go on Twitter. Don't go on Twitter. The night of the love <laughs> finale of the biggest show on TV. Yeah, but you can't say don't go on Twitter just in case someone yes, is going to ruin the show yes, you haven't you seen. No, so, hang on. You've been waiting for that finale you know you're not going to watch it you yeah. decided to watch it tomorrow night with your missus why would you choose right. to go on twitter at the same yeah. time it twitter is not when oxygen you know people. we don't need yes. it boy don't clearly you it. don't understand twitter twitter absolutely is oxygen so i had this on sunday night when i was powering through my game of thrones rewatch loving it it got to midnight i was like all right i really got to turn in and i started to go to bed and then i really got to turn in <laughs> yeah i really got to turn in this bit back. And, i turned on I my phone my little, i put my little sleeper <laughs> on had my and, I put, in. <laughs> and i got my cocoa and i went up the wooden hill. Well, first of all, Terry, you hill. should never have sugary drinks before you go to sleep. Don't be silly. But uh, I, I, you know, I looked in and someone mentioned on Twitter, Line of Duty. And I was like, oh, fuck, it was Line of Duty tonight. So then even though it was midnight, I had to fire up fucking iPlayer and watch Line of Duty till one in the morning because I knew there was no way this episode would not get spoiled for me when go I got up the Twitter. next morning. That's not possible, Terry. It's my link to other humanity. I've been stuck in my house for a year now. It is my only link to the greater human race. I cannot cut myself off I wouldn't from it. describe it as greater human race like look so let's just forgo this conversation because we will be here for literally for the seven years Terry, this is news it's a cultural um, discussion why don't so we are this i'm presuming is a warning which is we are about to discuss the finale of unforgiven therefore unforgotten if, even if, <laughs> you're unforgiven it's unforgotten and we're gonna remember it let's go all the whole thing off um, so, we are going to discuss the finale of Unforgotten. Could I just say, if Nicola Walker had been William Money in Unforgiven, that would have been one hell of a film. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. um, sure. If you would not like to know, because you haven't watched it and you've managed to avoid it on Twitter. As is then, your right, as a person as who doesn't right, have to watch things at broadcast. As, is, as an independent person responsible for their own actions is completely your right. And it's also your right to skip over this bit of the podcast. And James... We'll put the times of entry and exit into the... Podcast description. Podcast description. Yes, I will do these things. So. So. You've been warned. We've been warned. Holy shit, that was amazing. <laughs> I knew it. I, do you know what? 
I knew it. I said to Daniel, my boyfriend, I said, they're going to kill her off because they kept doing that whole, um, the son say, Adam saying, oh, you know, when you come home, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. Her dad kind of repeating some of the bits of the voicemail message about how they're going to be back on the beach together. And I was like, they're going to do it. They're yeah. going to do it. They're absolutely going to do it. And I just thought it was done so brilliantly because James had said last week how you thought the car crash was not very unforgotten and it felt a bit flashy yeah. flashy yeah. really right a little bit flashy yes but the way you know they had her present throughout the entire episode them finishing the investigation without mm. her um and the way that you know there's no sudden moment where she crashed there's just the doctor saying people don't recover from this then you have the audio from the funeral didn't show the funeral like just mm. i thought the way it handled was supremely unforgotten because you didn't actually see moments of of sharp grief apart from there was a moment we were talking about when wasn't there james in particular that got you oh god so many but the bit with the voicemail destroyed me just when sunny walks in the corridor and he just stops with his you know sunny with his little yeah, backpack, backpack and he just stops there did you see what nicola walker put in his backpack yeah yeah incredible. when they no. were shooting she put a picture of herself and a note from cassie yeah. to sunny saying yeah. she loves him in the backpack and he apparently broke down on set oh. i was like oh yeah Incredible. Oh, I thought it was just handled like beautifully, and 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 I think I said, I said this to you guys on our WhatsApp group, which was I found it devastating because normally, you know, what happens when a regular character dies like this is they've had a chance to resolve things before, and they go out in a way that everybody kind of can live with. But obviously, what and we've talked about this in previous episodes. Nicola Walker this season, Kathy has been very angry, lashing out, mm. pretty unfair towards her dad and his new partner, um, giving us screaming at her son in a way we haven't seen in previous episodes. Her poor boyfriend, who I think last week I was like, Christ, he's like got the rough end of the stick, <laughs> and and then like you know she's and we have the flashback where she's leaving her dad the voicemail and says, you know, she knows it's her and they're going to find their way back to how they were together. But when, you know, that doesn't get to happen, all she, all he's left with is the voicemail. He's got rapidly onset Alzheimer's, which means he's got probably a short time left. And you just know he's going to be left in this unbearable grief. And she died at odds with her son and with her partner. And actually, like, I found that kind of really brutal because it didn't feel like she left at an okay point in her life and that she left like she was still having um mental health issues she desperately wanted to finish this job and get back to life and but she never got there and i found that really stuck with me mm. for days afterwards so bleak bleak yeah incredibly and he remember he in that in that he um chris lang the writer in that in that episode, you're led to believe at the beginning. Remember when the doc the first discussion from the doctor is quite positive. It's like actually yeah. she's doing all right. Yeah. yeah. So he really like and I thought that was again like really playing with our emotions in an incredibly effective way. Because for them to kind of you think, oh, she's gonna recover or at worst have, you know, who know but you're definitely led to believe at some point she's gonna recover. And then to bring that in and devastate you with that, it, it was unbelievably right. And I, I agree that the way he just scene for scene, the direction and the acting mm. and everything was perfect. And yeah, I love the fact that we heard Sonny's oration tribute to yeah. her from the funeral oh. without seeing it and just him walking to and seeing, looking at the grave. Uh, Sanjeev Bhaskar is brilliant because he's very understated, isn't he? I mean, the yes. whole that character yes. is the most understated character in yeah. TV, on TV. He's such a good character. Such a brilliant character. And that makes it so powerful that he is like that, that he's so unassuming. And it, it's fascinating. And of course, what happens now in the show, um, 
because this is this is this is part what I've been watching, part news story. Because they are they also yeah. announced they're gonna there's going to be a fifth series and there'll be a new in quotes partner in crime for Sunny. So that's fascinating. What they're going to do. I mean, do we know why they made this? Was it a narrative choice? Was Nicola Walker looking to leave? Do we know what the impetus behind this was? I got the sense from Chris Lang talking about it a bit, you know, saying he, he and her, he and Nicola decided this was to bring it to an end, to bring her story to an end. Mm. And, um, you know, she must have, she, I'm imagining Nicola Walker has offers every single day of her life, you know, And to do four series of a show like this is quite quite a lot for someone like for an actor for an actor like her. So I wasn't yeah. surprised. So I think it's more that I think I think she probably decided it was time to leave, and they decided together to bow out in this way and to have an incredibly powerful to make an incredibly powerful ending of a series. And can I just say, I think something else they did that was really brave, um, but actually sets up the next series really well, is I think he turned out to be the better cop. In the end, so actually, in this last case, when he took over in that final episode and he led those interviews, if you remember how she'd been in those recent interviews, very unsure of herself, getting tearful, getting upset, being shaken by the interviewee, not quite nailing it, and he's silent throughout pretty much everything, right? And that last episode, when he's leading the interrogations, he is on it and he Mm. like gets he gets the job done. And I thought there was a bit of a intimation there, which is she she couldn't she didn't have that in her anymore, and it was time it was time for him to take the lead anyway. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, that yeah. I thought that was really interesting because the sense would normally be in a normal drama that person comes off the case because they're in hospital, the whole thing goes to shit. And actually, yeah. I felt like they did the opposite, which is there was a new clarity because she was still quite emotionally um, having a difficult time, and actually when she's kind of not there, that things get wrapped up very quickly and very cleanly. And you realise what a brilliant copper he is in that in those moments. Could I say the one thing about this episode that did annoy me though? Is in every interrogation, the only thing going through my head was that DCC Liz Belden has the right to be questioned by an officer at least one rank superior. And I was just, just like Somebody this is- tweeted that to you. No, no, I was thinking when I was watching it, I texted Boyd while I was watching it before it aired, just saying, yes. we watched the, the preview, you, and I was like... Why are you texting Boyd and not texting me? you haven't seen it yet. Oh. <laughs> I didn't want to spoil it. And I was texting Steady, and, uh, and I, was, I was like, Boyd, I said, this is really bugging the shit out of me. First of all, where's her Federation rep? Second of all, she's a fucking DCC. He's a DI. What is going on? Also, would they all go to this assumption that they were all going to prison? I was like... Yeah, it seemed they, a bit for, much, didn't it? For, yeah. Because they just... I mean, I know they helped. Well, because they got charged with preventing a burial. Is that or immediate custodial? Well, I think because it wasn't perverting the course of justice because it wasn't a crime that initially because they didn't think it was a crime. They thought it was an accident. But preventing a burial, I didn't know that was a thing. Yeah, but people get often. But I didn't know that would be an immediate. Seems you know. an odd for a custodial they, sentence. Doesn't they'd it? already they had perverted the course of justice subsequently, like or in, by lying. Well, yeah, yeah by lying. In, in, <laughs> yeah. In, in, that's you know, what yeah. they got actually charged with when they were going, when yeah, they yeah, said sure. what the charges were. It was the the withholding a, a yeah, proper burial. Yeah, it was burial. preventing a proper burial, which was an odd thing. And then what's her chops? Uh, the one who was practicing without a license. They thought she might not get custodial term for the burial thing, yeah, but would do but, for practicing without a license. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, it was a really grim episode, but my God, that was great television. It really was. Yeah, Having Unforgotten and Line of Duty on at the same time, I do feel like <gasps> yeah. I'm picking shit at the moment. It's just like, yeah. it's so good. 
Sunday and Mondays, what a <sighs> what a treat! So oh, good, it's just incredible. And Line of Duty is getting fucking brilliant. I have to say, yes, it is. Like it's it really, yeah. it's I'm, I'm really, loving that. There's so um, much going on in that. And him, him this is the back. end of the unforgotten spoilers, and we are not going to do any spoilers for Line of Duty. But I will say the final, the final shot of the second episode of Line of Duty. I was like, ooh, that's what I'm going to say. <laughs> what, you said what? <laughs> that was it. You're not getting the sound effect again. That was do it. it again. Oh, oh, that's that's the good. final like, shot of season the final two. shot of episode two of Line of Duty. That made me laugh my head off. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, it's funny. <laughs> Shut up! Oh, that really made me laugh. So much good TV. We've been going for 20 minutes and we're on a schedule today, so unless you have anything particularly pressing to talk about else this week, I think Unforgotten probably covers it. Can I just mention one other thing, which is Tina, the Tina Turner documentary (gasps) on Sky. It's on Sky Documentaries. It's also on Sky One. It's on. You can watch it whenever you want. On on, and it is incredible. It's like a real because you know it deals with all the issues in her life. But one of the most interesting things about it is her famous um, abuse at the hands of Ike Turner. uh, which is, you know, which she wrote about in an autobiography, and there was a film about it, and in the musical, etc., of her life. But the whole, there's a very interesting element of the film, which is her talking about how she's constantly asked about it at every stage of her career. Yeah, you know, um, and there's always people waiting to ask her about, it and then ask about him. There's an excruciating kind of late on in the last third of the of the documentary where they just show people journalist after journalist presenter after presenter interview after interview asking her about ike turner and this is in you know the late 80s 90s 2000s and it is painful and it's like she still has to deal with it every single time and that and the weight of it on her comes through so powerfully as well as being an incredible documentary about her her extraordinary extraordinary career extraordinary um, and her music and all of that Mm. so it's a brilliant it's a brilliant film i am i've had quite a few of our listeners recommend that to me actually it's on mm. my uh, watch list for this long weekend yeah yeah mine too <laughs> are you being sarcastic <laughs> of course i'm being sarcastic no what? i've been watching no, game of thrones and only game of thrones on, hang on hang the fuck <laughs> on why are you taking it like one of the world's biggest music stars yeah, have you heard a, of tina turner a good documentary and actually um boyd what i found fascinating about what you just said is you know with um uh, Britney and Demi Lovato and people like this is this sense of um, it's a real noughties onwards um, phenomena for people to really uh, dig into people's lives, young girls' lives and young women's lives and hound them and ask inappropriate questions. And what's fascinating about what you've just said is, you know, Tina was, that was the 80s when yeah, she yeah. finally left Ike and had gone on to be a solo success star. And it kind of shows the roots of that sexism and and uh, misogyny in some cases. So I think that sounds fascinating. I'm going yeah. to give it a watch. Her story is extraordinary. You know, she like grew up not just in poverty, but in like a one room shack yeah, yeah. and suffered incredible abuse all throughout her childhood. Um, the film with Angela Bassett is, I think, an ex- exceptional film. Um, but you know she had she's lived without this man for half of her life, and yet still, it's her story is yeah. always the story of Ike and Tina. Yeah, and her mother's on it. There's a really chi- there's chi- kind of like a chilling into is- with the mother, which is incredible. And th- 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 there's one brilliant. Sorry, James. One, one, one. The the scene in it that really made it for me is she's doing a promo. She's doing some fairly banal standard promo for her new album, and I think it is in the nineties. It's quite kind of you know late period, kind of after her career was was resurrected really. 
um, after kind of yeah. like a Vegas stint where she had to pay yeah. off loads of feet anyway. And she's she's doing like a fairly standard junket style interview and she's all ha- fine and happy. And, and the interview asks her about Ike and about the terrible roots. And she literally goes, she stops the interview. She goes, hold on, hold on. I wasn't expecting to be asked about this. And not in a kind of aggressive antagonistic way. Yeah. She just goes, I'm just, I just have to ha- a moment to, to, to uh, she says, I will be able to deal with this topic, but I just have to give me a moment. And it's such a powerful, incredible moment. Well, imagine like, you know, you're a pop star and something that traumatic has happened yeah. to you. I mean, he used to beat her and oh. he raped her oh when they God, were the married. Oh, my God, the details like, are horrific, yeah. Like, the, uh, you know, and some of the scenes in What's Love Got To Do With It are really graphic yeah. and beat the yeah. kids. And she lived, she was a prisoner. She tried yeah. to commit suicide to escape him. Um, he threatened her while she was being taken to hospital for that suicide attempt saying if she if she died he'd kill her um like she was essentially tortured by him and imagine being in what you think is a standard promo and being asked about that and not being in any way prepared to be triggered in that way like you know and she's pretty much now stepped back from everything hasn't she Um, yeah yeah but she's she does that's new interview with she's in her 80s now and she's she's happily married and everything but yeah she's very much a buddhist um she that's she credits buddhism with kind of rescuing her and helping it's 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 fascinating right james we can move on now sorry james James is literally something james is literally (laughs) bobbing up and down with with kind of like anxiety to move on (laughs) so brilliant I, I like Tina Turner. I'll have you know that my go-to karaoke number is Tina Turner's Goldeneye, which I have been told is genuinely terrifying. Hang on. So. Wait a minute. How are you? This is classic James. Yeah. you know how we talk sometimes about when James interviews people? He asks them questions about him. That You've just seen an evidence of that. So if I met Tina Turner, I would speak about some of the things we've been talking about here. If James met Tina Turner... James, one of James's questions would be about his karaoke rendition of one of her songs. That is 100% you, accurate. I'm just imagining James singing fucking Goldeneye. Yeah. You, I, I, it's that... quite special. There exists video evidence of this because wow. we did a Bondioki night. We went through all of the Bond songs Bondi-oki. at Lucky Boys. Yeah, yeah, absolutely true. You absolute and, awful balance. And someone all filmed of you. my Goldeneye. Accidental partridge or what? Fucking hell. Accidental? <laughs> oh, yeah. Just Partridge. No. Yeah, we actually, to be fair, we did do Goldfinger in the manner of Alan Partridge when we did that one. So that's oh my good. God. Can I just see the one criticism I have of the film? And this is going to sound slightly trivial. How it, are we back to this again? Sorry, <laughs> but it really annoyed me. It really annoyed me about her career in terms of her music and career because it is, is, you know, it's it, it, it's tracing her incredible career. Is they yeah. leave out Heaven Seventeen doing um, Let's Stay Together and and the, and the importance they completely gloss over it. it's not even mentioned and I found that infuriating because they had such a key that, that they're kind of working with her first of all in the British Electric Foundation on their version of Ball of Confusion on that album was a huge moment and then they did Let's Stay Together and it's totally ignored and it's infuriating there you are thanks I'm not going to talk about Game of Thrones and the fact that I'm now on season three and enjoying my rewatch immensely. I'm averaging about 13 episodes a week, which is fantastic. Um, I do want to talk about one thing to Game of Thrones is the fact that something we don't talk about enough is that Hannah Waddingham, who plays Rebecca in Ted Lasso, is fucking Septa Unella, a.k.a. the shame nun 
from Game of Thrones. <laughs> and I have oh, no really? idea. What, you mean she's the one who says shame, 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 to- shame, oh, shame, wow, to shame. Cersei. <laughs> Oh, yes, that's brilliant. That's Rebecca that from is, Ted Lasso. Uh, I'm going to credit you now because I'm. I think this is the second time you've done a Game of Thrones rewatch within the history of the Pilot TV it podcast, which is unbelievable when you think about it. You're banging on about the same fucking shit you were banging on about like two years ago. But that is a revelation. That yeah, is a re- exactly, exactly. Yeah, so okay. every time I now watch Ted Lasso and I see Rebecca come in, I'm going to imagine her in a habit ringing a bell, shouting "Shame, shame!" <laughs> with naked Lena Headey walking behind her. Body double, Lena Headey, of course. That's right. I should say, Lena Headey's head superimposed, yeah. quite obviously, on a yeah. body double. Yeah. Anyway, we have been talking for half an hour, and I genuinely couldn't tell you what about at this point, so let's move on to the listener question. Now, I'm going to preamble this. We did get a listener question submitted by Kev Rosam-Smith. This is not this week's listener question, but I'm going to read it to you anyway. And he said... What are your small hills to die on? Not like Boyd's hatred of X time previously before an episode. More specific stuff. Mine, as in Kev's, is when they get simple stuff about weapons wrong. As evidenced by the Sam and Bucky show's opener. Sam gets a missile lock, but they fired unguided rockets at him. They then fire four Hellfire-type missiles at him, despite the fact that they're anti-tank, not air-to-air missiles. They follow him for a while, despite the fact they fly at Mark 1.3. They fly for about 40 seconds, despite their maximum flight time being around 20 seconds. And finally, their rocket motors are burning the entire time, despite the fact that they actually only burn for about two seconds. In short, they're just doing it wrong. And I, I felt seen when I read this. I was like, this, this. Now, this, this is a grievance I can get on board with. I love all of that. He does qualify this by saying this hill may be due to the fact that I'm a weapons engineer for the RAF. So, you know, fair play to him. Blimey. So, hang on. Are we doing this question or not? We are absolutely not doing this question because I don't imagine you have a working knowledge of Hellfire missiles. However, however, I'm just, I would just wish to give Kev props for an extraordinary level of military accurate pedantry. So, Well, he wasn't asking us if we'd got that information he was asking us what our small hills were that's true um, and you, Do you have you, a hill you, you'd like to die on terry well, you know because no, that what isn't what i haven't prepared because you told us a different question we're well, moving on to the real question now that was just an amuse bouche if you will amuse your bouche <laughs> oh god it's a starter it's to lead us into the main fact and the the entree the main course comes from michael canine and he says inspired by kelly mcdonald in line of duty who are your favorite appearances by actors that have starred in just one series of a TV show. I reckon we broaden this to just guest stars generally. Okay. Um, but, uh, you know, just to make your life a bit easier. Who would like to kick off? Uh, I will. So, I want to say all of the Line of Duty guest stars because I think they've mm. all been incredible. I think that's actually, I reviewed Line of Duty for Empire and I said that, that I, that's one of the show's strengths. I think that's what makes it feeling different and uh, interesting each time is that pivoting guest star. So Lenny James, Hmm. Keely Hawes, Daniel Mays, Dandy Newton, and Stephen Graham got them all. Um, And obviously this time around Kelly MacDonald. um, I just think that is such an important part of the Magic of Line of Duty. Um, I want to say, and he isn't in just one series, so I'm glad we've broadened it out. Hmm. Julian McMahon in Charmed, he plays Cole. (laughs) Slash the source of all evil, and hit the you, you know every great show has its peak, and the peak years of Charmed were when he was married to Phoebe, and she didn't know she was married to the source of all evil while being a good witch, and then she did know, and she became the queen of all evil, 
Um, I, I don't want to spoil it for anybody who may, you know, want to not know, want to not know about... Uh, Thanks for ruining Charmed, Terry. Sorry for ruining Charmed. Uh, I also want to say, so I want to give special mention to Friends and its many guest stars. We could do a whole episode just on that, but I would suggest that the best, um, the best ones are... Reese Witherspoon as Jill, Rachel's horrendous sister, who is so funny, um, so spoiled, just does that spoiled blonde rich bitch thing excellently. And Brad Pitt Mm -hmm. as um, (laughs) Will, who obviously (laughs) was a lot bigger uh, in college and his whole thing about uh, his hatred of Rachel. And obviously they were married at the time. And uh, they were their dynamic was was uh, really very funny, really the very funny. The stink eye he gave her was incredible. She goes, "Oh look, I think he's looking at me." And she's like, "He's mouthing something. He's mouthing, I hate you." And she's like, <laughs> And he says, "I only have two two enemies: Rachel Green and complex carbohydrates." Um, great line. <laughs> then I want to mention um, Sex in the City and the greatest guest star, a cameo, really, but you know. Jerry Halliwell in the infamous <laughs> scene about Soho House, New York, where Jerry Halliwell is the most Jerry Halliwell she's ever been. She sounds like she's putting on a British accent, even though she's British. It's extraordinary. She's in it for literally like one line. She's like, have you been up to Soho House? It's just the greatest. And it's like so ridiculous. And she's talking to Samantha in the street. It's brilliant. And then I want to give a final shout out to Law and Order SVU, who over the years has had so many guest stars playing perps, playing um, victims. Um, The amazing thing is in Law and Order, if you are a fan of Law and Order, for example, is that often the people who go on to play major characters have been in earlier seasons as small characters. So the um, actress who plays Amanda Rollins, she was actually a victim, I think, in um, seasons ago. Um, So people who actually come back in big roles are often tried out as random crims or random victims, which is, you know, just a a fun game you can play. The favourite one of mine in um, Lord and Order SVU is Jennifer Love Hewitt. And she is in this episode, this incredible episode, which is one of SVU's best ever episodes called Behave. And she plays a woman in New York who has been stalked by the same guy um, for years and years and years. Um, And he finds her again. He rapes her. And the episode is about... Benson trying to find this guy and stop him. Um, she He's controlled her essentially for all of her adult life ever since she was a teenager. It's properly fucked up. It's properly disturbing. But it's Jennifer Love Hewitt, I have to say, at her absolute best. So those are mine. I enjoy a guest star. Did you know Joe Biden was on an episode of SVU? Yeah. I mean, literally yeah. everybody, like SVU, if you go through the years, it's incredible the names they've had on there. It's Absolutely amazing. And can I just say, just apropos of nothing, that Benson and Stabler are getting back together because Stabler's oh, getting his own show. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and there's pictures of Benson and Stabler meeting again for the first time in years. I mean, there are so many unanswered questions. Where's Kathy? Where are the kids? Are you, are you single? Why didn't you ring Liv when Lewis had her captive? And why didn't you go and try and rescue them? And have you been working <laughs> in a mall this entire time? But anyway, that's an SVU. Uh, divergence. It's coming very soon. An SVU deep cut there. Thanks for that, Terry. Yeah. Boydie, 
Talking of Spice Girls, um, I just remembered that Victoria Beckham was in an episode of Ugly Betty. And Ugly she, Betty, was she? Yeah, yeah. She was in season two, playing herself, and she was surprisingly quite good. She was much better than Jerry Halliwell, because I remember Jerry Halliwell being terrible with her one line. But Victoria Beckham was all right in her episode of Ugly Betty, playing herself, um, in, in, which was called A Nice Day for a Posh Wedding, was the title of it, literally built around her. Um, and she is quite wryly funny when, when, she's, when she kind of gets the chance to be Victoria Beckham. Anyway, that's not my... I was just reminded of it. That's not one of my actual all-time favourites. I've been on a Martin Short deep dive this week for various reasons. I've become obsessed with Martin Short. Um, and he has two brilliant guest appearances. He was, in, he was the guest, one of the guest leads in Damages. And I think Damages is one of those shows that isn't mentioned often enough. I think I've bansheed that before. I think you did banshee it, mm. but it was absolutely brilliant damage. It, it used to be shown on BBC Two, maybe even BBC One at one point. Glenn Close, Rose Byrne were the mm. were the kind of duo at the heart of it. But they would have a different legal case each season. And in season three, uh, Martin Short was there as Leonard Winston, who's a lawyer, a ruthless lawyer. But he was so brilliant in it and he was also brilliant in two scenes in the morning show remember the morning show where he was the character he played the really creepy yeah. disgusting director who yeah. um who who uh what's his name goes to see and steve Carell goes steve to see Carell, him like, thank oh you. god you're a real predator <laughs> yeah so he's like the, he's exactly and it's such a br- those two scenes he was in absolutely he was nominated for an emmy he may even have won the emmy just for those two scenes but he totally embodied that creepiness and disgustingness of that character in about what must have been like barely 10 minutes of screen time yeah. and he is absolutely brilliant 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 star i love him and everything he does then i've got um in curb curb, curb enthusiasm like friends had guests Guess every single season, Miri, I guess. But my favourite of all, I think, is the season nine, Lin-Manuel Miranda. And because Lin-Manuel Miranda plays himself, plays a really egotistical, difficult version of himself, which is a bold, brave move for him to do. <laughs> he, and he's working on um, Fatwa, the musical with Larry. Larry's written the words and Lin-Manuel Miranda kind of takes over and does the music. And the scenes where Lin-Manuel Miranda won't let Larry sit in the... Sit sit too close to him in his office, in his LA office in Ohio. It's are hilarious. He's absolutely brilliant in that. Frazier has loads of brilliant guest guest appearances. My favourite, I think, it might be, I was, I was looking through them all, Patrick Stewart does a, there's a brilliant episode where Patrick Stewart plays this gay opera director who becomes obsessed with Frazier. And basically, Frazier becomes his boyfriend for for kind of, and Frazier kind of won't deal with the fact that he's not actually gay and, and won't even tell Patrick Stewart's character that he's not actually gay and, and, and lets Patrick Stewart assume that he's become his boyfriend. And it's so brilliantly done, that episode. And finally... Um, not finally, David Duchovny in the Larry Sanders show playing himself was incredible. Also had a kind of homoerotic element to it that his relationship with Larry Sanders, that was brilliant. And finally, Riz Ahmed in two things, topical Riz Ahmed who could, I mean, it's unlikely, he nominated for an Oscar, nominated for BAFTA for Sound of Metal this year for Sound of Metal. He was in Girls playing this dude, this surf train, surf dude? Yes. Um, Lena Dunham's boyfriend briefly and he was great and, and father of her child and father of a child exactly and it's almost like bizarre to think that he did this that he did that a few episodes of girls and was fantastic in it and he was also of course in the oa as this weirdly mystical hmm. kind of fbi dude yeah and um you never quite quite worked out exactly no. who or what he was but he popped <laughs> up didn't he a key key yeah. moments doing it was like strange things doing strange things and Appearing he was in fantastic houses. yes this mm. mystical figure um in in obviously the greatest show of all time which we'll never find out no what his relevance we'll never was. find out what the fuck he was 
Anyway, uh, right. Oh God, What's, what what would I put in? Um, you mentioned Glenn Close. I had some Glenn Closey stuff. For me, uh, the Shield had a couple of excellent people. That like she came in as Monica Rawling, the captain of the barn. She was uh, in there for one season as a guest star. She was so good in that. Another one from that was Forrest Whitaker as John Cavanagh, and he. Those two, they both, each one of them dominated the season of the Shield, and both were absolutely outstanding. Glenn Close also, I would say, for the West Wing, where she and Bill Fickner as Supreme Court justice nominees in the episode the supremes uh and while we're on the subject of west wing supreme court justices edward james Olmos as justice roberto mendoza uh he was great whenever he was in that show as well um one that i i think you'll agree with boyd michael j fox on the good wife oh yeah lewis canning so good in that and playing against type you know as a guy who has Parkinson's, much like Michael J. Fox does, but who uses that mm. in nefarious ways in the courtroom. He's really, really good. I loved him. Yeah. The other thing I was going to write, and this isn't really a guest star thing, and I'm only mentioning it because I meant to mention it earlier and I've forgotten, and that's that I have finally... You recall when we reviewed His Dark Material Season 2, I refused to watch it because I hadn't finished the first season, oh, yeah. as is my way. Well, I've now watched Season 1, and I'm all the way through Season 2 as well. Loving it. Caught up. But And I know I'm a year late to this because it happened last year, but when Andrew Scott finally appears and his demon opens its mouth and it's Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Yeah. It kind of blew my mind <laughs> yeah, that brilliant. the hot priest's demon is Fleabag. I just thought yeah. that yeah. was a thing. Yeah, it's not such a yeah. guest star thing, but a thing that tickled me. So, Oh, and also, Lady Gaga, this absolutely true, Lady Gaga is in The Sopranos. Did you know this? Yes. No. Yes, no. I did. Season three, episode nine. She's about 15 yeah. years old, <laughs> yeah. and she's a spectator at one of AJ's swim meets. Someone tweeted about it, didn't they, this week? I yeah, think you're stealing did. that fact. This is like the facts. Um, <laughs> the facts section on Empire. Empire. I'm podcast. just stealing yeah. facts. And if you're going to use that, by the way, we'll, we'll know. We'll be watching. <laughs> no, I have a fact for, for the next time I'm on the Empire podcast. I'm not on it this week because they're recording the Empire podcast while we're doing this one. Uh-huh, um, but uh, the fact for that, I will share with you a little bit later on in this show. Oh, so, uh, so there you go. But uh, that is it, Michael. That is all we have time for because we are on a schedule today. We hope that has been enlightening for you. If you wish to answer a question of us, three wise bellends on the Pilot TV podcast, then do hold them to us on Twitter at Pilot TV Pod um, or to me directly at James C. Dyer. Time now for this week's news, or rather, <laughs> things that were happening in the world of TV last Thursday, for it is then that we are recording the show. Uh, nothing but the best cutting-edge press releases here, let me tell you. Um, <laughs> I'm going to kick this one off because I'm going to be getting tickets for all of us to the Game of Thrones stage production, which is coming to a theatre near you in 2023. Terry, your excitement must be off the hook. I mean... <laughs> just what we need more game of thrones yes. i've got questions though okay like obviously game of thrones it's all about the visuals and the cg and you know so how is this going to work on stage i think i don't fine. understand game of thrones is all about the human drama and the machiavellian is scheming it is because you only came to it in season eight which was a Bit of a CG fest. What are you going to do about the fucking dragons? There doesn't need to be dragons. There weren't dragons for the whole of the first season of Game of Thrones. I bet there will be dragons. I'm I'm guessing there will be. Great big mechanical dragons. Well, first of all, if if, if, if anyone's seen the Harry Potter play, I I I saw the Harry Potter, which is 
Right, and that, that, I thought that visually that was pretty spectacular. They did, you know, and they did, they some, did some pretty some revolutionary clever. stuff yeah. in terms of how they used exactly how they use multimedia and right. and right. um and actually the imagination and the bits they did literally and the bits they did yeah. n- not yeah. quite so to think, the truth. The ghosts right. were amazing in Potter, yeah, were weren't they? Yeah, and and there was people forget there was a Lord of the Rings stage show. Do you remember? I don't know if you ever saw it, James, but no. um, it was on in the West End. And I don't, I never saw it either. But apparently it was pretty impressive how they dealt with if they could do fucking Lord of the Rings then they can do Game of well, Thrones I well this isn't the whole of Game of Thrones so the actual yeah. synopsis of this it says set at a pivotal moment in the history of the series the play will for the first time take audiences deeper behind the scenes of a landmark event that previously was shrouded in mystery featuring many of the most iconic and well-known characters from the series the production will boast a story centered around love vengeance madness and the dangers of dealing in prophecy in the process revealing secrets and lies that have only been hinted at until now so Presumably Gilly doing the housework at Craster's Keep. Big um, cut reference for you there. As long as it's not a musical, I'm fine with it. It may be a musical. Uh, Lord of the Rings was a musical, so it might was be it? a musical, yeah. Christ, like yeah. Spider-Man Turn Out the Dark or whatever it was called, Turn <laughs> yeah. Off the Dark. Right, yeah. yes, yes. With you too. Anyway, so Game of Thrones coming to a stage near you and George R. R. Martin involved in this, and I absolutely applaud his continued refusal to write the next book in the series by doing absolutely everything else under the sun. Well done, George. That's impressive. <laughs> Terry, go on. Why don't you bang on about the Rocky prequel series? So, this is dead exciting. So I follow Sylvester Stallone on Instagram because uh, I'm obsessed with the Rocky franchise, as most people know. And I start following him because I knew he was doing a director's cut of Rocky Four, and he's posted a few things from the edit, which look amazing. Um, but even more excitingly this week, he posted some handwritten uh, pieces of paper on which he'd sketched out his thoughts for a Rocky prequel. And he's kind of essentially pitching it via, via Instagram. So um, it's important to realise that he's always said he'd never play Rocky again. Um, and so what that means is we are looking at a prequel set in the 60s. So a 10-episode series is what he says it would be. And then he started to like list the events um that would be around so he's he's like cuban missile crisis cold war civil rights movement um so kind of rocky as a teenager maybe a child even i mean this for me is really exciting for so many reasons but you know because boxing is what saved him and that he's always made that clear that that you know the solitary life he lived training wanting to be a boxer that, you know, potentially has always been the hint that he, there was a bit of criminality before then, that he was a bit lost as a kid. Um, and there's so many clues. I'm actually going to do a big Rocky rewatch this weekend to try and find the clues. <laughs> stuff he said about his family, stuff he said about his life before the first Rocky film. I think this is a fucking amazing idea. Obviously, casting Rocky will be an incredible challenge because we've only ever seen one Rocky and we know exactly what he looks like. But, you know, will it also show Adrian's uh, childhood at the same time? Like, which characters will it pick up? He knew Mickey before um, Rocky. You know, he'd been around the neighbourhood. So what... And you always like to believe that relationship was very adversarial before they connected over boxing. Like... There are so many ways you could take this. I'm. I think this is like so, 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 so exciting, and I, I'm, oh, I'm beside myself. I am absolutely beside myself. <laughs> and who wouldn't want this from a TV perspective? Who wouldn't want a Rocky prequel? 
Yeah, it's definitely going to happen, isn't it? I mean, that's why it's so astonishing that he that he revealed his handwritten notes because it's like you don't need to. I mean, you just take this to fucking HBO, I know. whatever take Netflix. Take your hand off. Let bite your hand off. Surely, mm. yeah, it's got to be. Yeah, it's definitely going to happen. And can I just say, while I'm largely indifferent to this project, I find your <laughs> your childlike enthusiasm largely for it actually gives me life, Terry. I am basking in the glow oh. of it. I think it's joyous. And it actually makes me want to see this just because I want to see you having seen it. Oh, my God. I mean, it's just... And the, the, the trick with Rocky has always been Stallone. And I think the interesting thing with Creed is he realised, because the main Rocky franchise starts to go off the boil, and he's, he realised that he needed a different voice to bring the modernity in and to bring the contemporary feeling and for it to be right for this generation. And obviously um, bringing in Michael B. Jordan and Ryan Coogler, I think that combination was amazing. And I think, I don't know how he'd feel about working with somebody else again, but I think that would be really interesting to build out a really kind of compelling prequel life what does 60s in that neighborhood looks like which characters are they going to focus on um i i think all of that is is so right and i think to see how he approaches this um as a filmmaker um would be really interesting the threads he'd pick up from rocky the narrative things he'd be interested in the oh this this would be amazing and just again you know like it's amazing to me that this because Rocky for Sylvester Stallone defines his career and I'm sure there was a time when he felt that frustrating but I love how he now leans into it you know when let's remember that when he wrote Rocky in his garage with masking tape over the windows he did it in a matter of weeks he locked himself in he took it to studios they said we'll take it but you can't direct it and we you can't write it and then he said no and or you can't star in it and he said no and he kept going and he kept going and for every one story of a Rocky, there's a story of, of a million people who said no and were never heard of again. But that first Rocky film is um, is one of the greatest films of all time. It just is. Rocky 1 and 2, for me, stand alone as superb pieces of filmmaking and craft. And that that is, for me, is Sylvester Stallone at his greatest. And I think to then see him embracing telly, as a as a now a really different thing than when he started out making films, I just think it's amazing that he you know is is building continuing to build it out even more. He could just start in big blockbuster films. He's got you know this superhero film coming up later in the year. That's what he could do, but he's still I think so wedded to and and part of this universe, this rocky universe he's built. I think it's the greatest legacy he'll ever leave. And I think to to tackle this at this point in his life and career, yeah, amazing. And speaking of the greatest films ever made, let's now talk about the Obi-Wan Kenobi series, which reunites us with Ewan McGregor's Obi-Wan Kenobi that we last saw in Revenge of the Sith. Terry, you must be pretty psyched about this. To be fair, so this was actually a pretty exciting announcement. So we knew Ewan McGregor would be in there as Obi-Wan Kenobi, and we knew already from last year that Hayden Christensen would be back as Anakin Skywalker. But Joel Edgerton is going to be back as Uncle Owen. Bonnie Peace is going to be back as Aunt Beru, now that she's out of the Nexium cult, which is nice. Kumail Nanjiani is in it as well. Indira Varma's going to be in this. Rupert Friend is in mm. it. O'Shea Jackson Jr., a.k.a. Ice Cube Jr. is going to be in this. Sung Kang, who played Han Solo in the Fast and Furious franchise, he's in this too. Simone Kessel. Simone Kessel. Her name is Simone Kessel. <laughs> 
Sorry. I just my amusement over that is endless. Benny Safty, one half of the Safty brothers is in this fucking show. I mean, directors of Uncut Gems. So this, you know, Joel Edgerton. Obi- you haven't mentioned Joel Edgerton. I did. I did. I got Uncle Owen. Did. did you? I did oh, at the okay. beginning. Sorry. Yeah. So so you know, Moses Ingram is in this as well. So there's there's you know, it's it's a pretty exciting announcement for a show that I was a little bit lukewarm on, and now seeing this cast list, I'm I'm here for this. I feel very the the thing that intrigues me most about it, and the person I, I I'm most pleased for is Hayden Christensen. Because his let's face it, his career was fucked, wasn't it? I mean, I mean after <laughs> <I don't> <laughs> not to put too far a point, yeah, too point. point on it. But I, he was a good actor, you know. But he was a good actor saddled with diabolical, let's face it, dialogue from those yeah. films. What you know, inanity of that dialogue they had to grapple with, and he got a lot. I remember he got, he got a lot of bad reviews. You know, people had a go at him. That must have been fucking difficult. And he's but he's in some good films, you know, smaller indie films that he was really good in, and he's a good actor. So I'm really pleased for him because this, yeah. you know, he'll presume hopefully. He be able to do this role with good dialogue not written by george lucas i just honestly though i you just you watch specifically uh attack of the clones but if you watch those films and you see the dialogue that he's given it almost feels like george lucas was trolling him like the bit when yeah. he turns he goes i hate sand it gets everywhere <laughs> like, yeah. the sand monologue is unbelievable <sighs> and in the end he goes she's like anakin my you've grown so have you more beautiful, I mean. And you're just like, why? Oh, yeah. oh my yeah. God, no actor on earth could no. make that dialogue work. No. Like, no one could. It's and also just plonked in the middle of CGI hell as well, just surrounded by pure CGI, you know, which fucking, which, oh God, yeah. So I'm really pleased that he's going to get to do it properly. Yeah. I mean, don't get me wrong, Ewan had some pretty terrible dialogue, but I think Ewan had a light, a lightness yeah. with that awful right. dialogue. He pulled right. it off a lot better. <laughs> Negotiations were short. You know, he I think he 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 came out of that yeah. unscathed. Yeah. Um but yeah, without without George writing the screenplay, I suspect this series might uh, might actually be really good. I do worry that they're kind of pissing in the pool a little bit. That's my only slight worry with this, that when you start fucking about in the canonical Star Wars timeline, you risk you risk poisoning the waters and that bugs me slightly. But but we'll see. That's a I'm very you concern. That. It is a very me concern. Yes, I'm concerned about canonical consistency. <laughs> yeah. Um, speaking of canonical consistency, American Gods yes. has been cancelled. Inevitable, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it was inevitable. Four showrunners in three series. But um, Neil Gaiman says it's not dead. We so. said they might come back. They might finish the story with a kind of a one-off thing. I think it might oh, return right. to a finale oh, event. Right. But I think okay. the series is done for now. Okay. Um, but yes, I think that was uh, that was to be expected. Uh, anything else in the world of news? Um, <laughs> We've got 32 minutes to do reviews. We've got that, so we should probably move on. Terry, you don't have any press releases you want to read out? <laughs> I'm sure I can whip one up, James. <laughs> right. Okay. Let's move on then to this week's reviews. And first up this week, we have Them. This is a horror anthology series on Amazon from Little Marvin and Lena Waithe, and this looks to explore terror in America. This first season, which is titled Them Colon Covenant, sees the Emery family, led by Deborah Ayrinde and Ashley Thomas, move from the American South out west to Los Angeles in the 1950s. But as the first black family moving to an all-white neighbourhood, their welcome is not exactly warm, greeted as they are by a gaggle of proto-Karens, uh, led by Alison <laughs> Hill, who looks on a gape as their new neighbours move in. But this is not, as it might first seem, just another story of racism in America. There's a lot more going on here as well, including the possibility of malevolent otherworldly forces. Isn't that right, Boyd? Yes. So this is a very interesting uh, project, I think, because... On the one hand, you've got Lena Waithe, this brilliant talent, made Queen and Slim, and she's a fantastic force 
uh, I think, in in TV and film. And she's one of the exec producers. Um, but as you say, uh, uh, Lil Marvin is the main creator. He's written, you know, he came up with the idea. He seems to have written most of the scripts. Already in America, if you look online, it, it's it's received quite a lot of criticism from people who think, who feel that this show is essentially using black American trauma for entertainment. And I think, you know, it's, it's, it's been compared to, you know, films like Us and Get Out. The fact that it's like us, it's, it's called them and us mm. is called us is a, is a hard thing to avoid. And it has got that mix of social realism, if you like, of, talking, of, of, of addressing issues of racism in America within the context of horror. And so it does mix. It it literally shows what it's like, what it would have been like for this black American family to move from um, their place in, I think it's in Atlanta, isn't it, to Los Angeles in this period where literally they're the only black family in this horrendous all-white neighborhood. And the uh, white families, the women, as you say, these, these Karens, as you call them, and the white families who are terrorizing them, you know, um, that's the only word for it. They stand there, they play music, mm to try and kind of to to kind of irritate them and torture them. So but what's interesting I think for me and I, I might so my view on this kind of changed about 3 or 4000 times within the context of watching the first two or three episodes. Yeah. I do think it's of a measure harsher to watch and more difficult to watch than us and get out and um previous attempts to mix um attempts to look at of racism that black Americans felt received and the fantastical horror element. And for me, this show, it's really, I found it quite difficult to watch. Like mm. the, it's so horrendous, the, 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 the racism. And it, episode one was quite tough. And then episode two shows you quite meticulously how the father and the mother and the teenage daughter are, are again tormented by white people and their racism in their various different ways within institutions at his work. And he ends, at one point he ends up, you know, in, in the toilet crying and having a kind of traumatic moment. The teenage daughter, all, all the people in her class start chant monkey noises at her and she's blamed for it. And she's told to go and see the head because she's been disrupting the class. It's like, gaslighting, the definition of gaslighting, racist gaslighting these people face. And then on the other hand, you've got these intimations of supernatural, something supernatural is going on. The little kid seems to have been somehow taken over. It reminded me a little bit of this of Haunting of Blind Manor with the little kid possessed. So it's got all this going on. In the end, the, the final thing, my final verdict on it was, I think it's really, really good. I think it's really bold. And I think, and I think the criticisms are slightly misguided. I'm not saying, you know, if you, if you find it traumatic, I can see you, you wouldn't want to watch it. Mm. But as a white person, I was shown the reality of this racism at this period in American history, and it's and it's viscerally horrific in itself. I, and I, and I'm not sure it does need the supernatural horror element. It's almost like this is horrific anyway, yeah. Yeah. and that does feel bolted on. But I think this is stealth social realism and history being being almost like smuggled under the cover yeah. of a horror series using the genre aspect using of the genre it's literally mm. using the genre and i'm like well fair enough because what mm. it's showing is so important to show i think and i think you can kind of assume that people know about this stuff but i don't think they do and i don't and i think the actual and I, using the word horror of the of what what it felt like to be a black family in this situation yeah. is brought home really really brilliantly and it's technically it's beautifully made all of the things we'd expect um but in the end it really like it really got to me i have to say 
No, I agree with you. And I mean, obviously, I can only come at this from my own experience. But watching this, I found this incredibly stressful viewing, really hard viewing. And just from a really punchy sort of hard-hitting prologue then it goes into kind of the build-up of them sort of driving out there this lovely little family and they come in there and it's all sort of twitching curtains and whatnot and the way the music this very upbeat music deliberately slows down as they get close to their house and becomes more sinister and unpleasant i think what they really nail with this is the emotional impact and the horror and the sort of oppressive i mean bullying sounds like too mild a word like it's it's abusive yeah. harassment and it's it's just and 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 but you you feel their sense of panic and fear, but also the indignation and the kind of fact that they're like we're not running anymore. Like this is you know we have a right to be here. Like it's it's a very stressful watch. I know what you mean. Like that in itself, I think is powerful enough dramatically and has enough horror in it to carry the show on its own. The supernatural element does feel like a level in addition to it. Yeah. But I think you, you might be right. Like it, it adds as a, you know, it's the kind of the sweetener. It, it lets them smuggle this larger story under the radar and maybe makes it more accessible to a different audience. I don't know. But I, yeah, I, I thought this was, it was a difficult watch for me. Look, let's be honest. It isn't ideal three white people sat here <laughs> being the only people to discuss this because I think the that definitely will impact, I think, on our reactions. So let, I think we should make that point because um, if I was a black woman, I would, a lot of this would be more familiar with me. Well, it wouldn't quite, be yeah. so much of a, a learning. It, and for me, it does what people have made comparisons with us, but also what Boyd was saying about um, the use of horror to uncover kind of social issues and, and real life horror is it's very much in line with Lovecraft's country, that kind of approach in terms of how they're using um, the genre. Now, look, I found this almost impossible to watch, I have to <laughs> yeah. say. I, found, I, I was tense and anxious and upset the entire time. Um, it is like a pressure cooker from the minute it opens and, and it, it makes it very clear that what you're about to watch took place over just 10 days. So mm -hmm. there's this sense of this ticking clock going um, constantly at, at the entire time. Now let's talk about the cast. So I think the core family or every single one of them is so compelling. So Ashley Thomas is the dad, um, Henry. And the amazing thing is you see kind of the... Um, the prejudice and the cruelty they suffer as a family, but then you also see, as Boyd was saying, what they suffer individually. So when Henry goes to work as an engineer and he's just dismissed because of the colour of his skin by the receptionist who, you know, is bowing and scraping to the other white men in suits but is incredibly rude to him. Um, the two kids are played by Shadadi Wright-Joseph and Melody Hurd. But I have to say, for me, the show belongs to Deborah Ayurinde, who plays Lucky, um, the mum and the what, and she is magnetic. What she can do with a look, a single tear, I, I mean, she gives an incredible performance. They're incredibly believable as a family. Um, and then, as you say, James, there's this that horrible sub suburbia, horror suburbia they're in led by Alison Pill, who um, is the kind of uh, lead cunt, as I would <laughs> of, call Of the racist Stepford Wives. Yeah, she, yeah. and they, the way they do that, you know, as you said, it is torture. They have, they get their, it sounds, it looks innocuous at first, they get out their chairs and they sit outside their house and then suddenly there's 40 women on chairs playing loud racist music sat mm. outside their house, kind of smiling aggressively at them while they are essentially hiding in their house. And I yeah. think what it does 
really effectively is it sets up the dangers outside the house, but then there is also this danger inside the house where we all find our homes to be a sanctuary or we'd like to find our homes to be a sanctuary. It's very clear that there is a malevolent force outside and there's also one inside. I don't feel like, I think I'd need to watch the whole thing to understand if that blending of supernatural and and so and you know social horror blends effectively but it's a lot to take all in one go and but i we do have to talk about how it looks because oh my mm. god it's gorgeous and it is a bit of a mock-up there's kind of americana there's yeah. hitchcock there's traditional slasher movies in there um i was interested that the first two episodes are directed by um Nelson Cragg, who is an Emmy-nominated cinematographer. He did Homeland, Breaking Bad. And, you know, there is, like, weird POV shots. Um, There's these incredible, like, split shots. There's these weird tilts. It's like everything is kind of thrown at this, I think, from a craft perspective to make this sense of a really discombobulated, constricting, um, tense world. I just think that is done exceptionally exceptionally well but i mean it is i cannot stress this <laughs> enough a really hard watch i was so relieved when it was over <laughs> same here and mm. it does i mean it, it just does what it does really effectively you have that it boils down to this incredible contrast between these white women in 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 uh yellow and white dresses in a in a a neighborhood built around white picket fences and the sun shining and the blue sky and then the kind of darkness and malevolence sitting underneath all of that it does all of that expertly um i don't know if i'm going to continue watching because i don't know if i can bear Take to it. keep watching yeah. it but i think from a craft perspective from a writing perspective from a performance perspective i honestly think it's a superb superb mm. piece of work with really shocking moments as well i'm thinking in yeah. particular when you see the covenant on the title deed of the house which yeah. is, has racist language baked in, baked into mm. the contract and yeah it, it's a lot it's interesting because i i wasn't expecting it. i think that's the thing it's a sh it's quite a shock because i think the trailer and the marketing is absolutely leading you to expect it is a bit like us yes or um, lovecraft country as you mentioned mm. terry that was that was the show that i was i should have mentioned right at the beginning yeah because those are fun like they absolutely dealing with racism of course that's at the core of their whole um creative intent but us is a romp you know it's a it's yeah. it's right from the beginning it's hugely entertaining quite funny in places so was lovecraft country lovecraft country had some incredible moments where it was like borderline comedy and these fantastical monsters this is not fun this is not pulpy <laughs> so this is hardcore fun. isn't yeah. it and it's i think that's realism. the shock yeah, yeah that's the shock of it it's so viscerally hardcore and i'm flinching all those words that it's 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 it, and and that's what's incredible about it actually i saw there's an interview with lena wade talking about it um i think in vogue and she said I just I know we haven't got much time but she said um, this is going to ruffle some feathers it's going to trigger some people it's not mm. going to be an easy watch but it will be unforgettable these are the things I want to be part of projects that won't be forgotten and that and she's absolutely fucking right yeah racism trigger warnings up the wazoo but we're going to have to move on from that because we only have 15 minutes left of this podcast before Terry and I have to go to a deeply tedious meeting so um, I will say them season one drops on Amazon Prime on the 9th of April next this week we have Wellington Paranormal now you 
may recall last week that Boyd and I were saying we don't talk about the excellent What We Do in the Shadows TV show on this podcast enough. It is to address perhaps this heinous injustice that this week we bring you What We Do in the Shadows spin-off series, Wellington Paranormal. Now, this stars Mike Minogue and Karen O'Leary as officers Minogue and Leary, both of whom appeared in the 2014 What We Do in the Shadows movie, and they take centre stage here as a pair of kind of Wellington cops investigating paranormal occurrences on the beat. This is a mockumentary created by Taika Waititi and Jermaine Clement, as you might imagine. Uh, and the first episode here guest stars the demon Bazual of the Unholy Realm, which is nice. There have been three seasons of this show, actually, thus far. Anything else uh, you want to come into this <laughs> intro? Here's the plot of the entire thing. Here's the plot of the first episode. Here's who made it and stars in it. And now I'm going to tell you what happens in episode one. Yeah, so in episode one, no, there, I'm just I'm giving the background, giving a little bit of foundation here, Terry. <laughs> you give it to everything. Fine. All right. All I'll say is there have been three tell seasons which ones of. James cares about and which ones don't. James don't care about because he reviews the ones he does and then he goes, and now Boyd's going to talk about. No. I mean, yes, my introduction yes. to Intruder, I suspect, will be somewhat shorter. <laughs> yeah, right. but, yeah. Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah. All I'm going to say so about good. Wellington Paranormal: there have been three seasons of this, but we're only just getting it here in the yes, UK. Yes, that was part of my that was part of my review. <laughs> Fine. Carry okay. On. Sorry, Terry. You 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 carry on. You, Thank you. you. you Thank what, you. What did you think of Wellington Paranormal, <laughs> Terry? Thank you, James. So, this is this is essentially uh, six years too late by my uh, by my <laughs> calendar. So, as James pointed out, it is a spin-off of what we're doing. The Shadows. This first aired in 2014 in New Zealand and Australia. There have been three series since, so it is obviously very loved, but we are now only just getting the first series of this. It is, it is as you'd imagine, mockumentary series um, using essentially the template of a cops, if you will. Taikwaititi and Jermaine Clement are the exec producers, and Jermaine Clement actually directs four of the um, six episodes in season one, as James also also said this first episode features a young girl who is projectile vomiting all over the shop in a mall and claiming to be Baza. How do we say it? Baza. Bazual. Bazual of the unholy realm. Bazual of the unholy realm. So they take her back to the uh, cop shop because that's where you take Bazual of the holy realm. Um, and she does some brilliantly uh, creepy stuff, walks like a spider, um, climbs up walls, etc., etc. Now... As you'd imagine, it 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 does revolve around Minogue O'Leary, and it's that kind of well. I'll tell you what it reminded me of, and I don't know if you've watched it, James, but I think you have, Boyd, which is Scott Squad, right? Mm. Which is Joe Juliet, who does a Scottish one of these essentially. Now, the crux of it is the absurdity of Minogue O'Leary as they are, you know, the least curious, uh, least sharp. Um, least intelligent cops you've ever met. And it's very much that kind of gentle um, humour between the two of them, contrasting with this absurd, you know, child-spewing, spider-crawling demon over here. Now, I I liked this. There were bits that made me laugh. But I think, for me, there's, there's none of the kind of stylistic flair that I thought was in the film. Um, 
that was kind of missing for me. It was funny and it's kind of sweet and that gentle, um, those kind of obvious gags, humour, those things where, you know, it's riffing on what a police officer is meant to be um, and the fact that they're absolutely decidedly not. Um, it's going to follow apparently a kind of a, a monster of the week format as there's a different phenomena uh, each week. It feels to me like something that would be a brilliant skit in a um, wider show. I don't feel like it holds, what was it, 30 minutes, 25 minutes? I feel like it's the same kind of gentle gag over and over. They've made three seasons out of it. I have no fucking (laughs) idea quite how they made enough for three seasons. Um, And it's funny, you know, the contrast between the bungling cops and zombies and spirits and ghosts and whatever else comes into it. And it is that very Taika Waititi type of humour and Jermaine Clements. So if anyone saw An Evening with Beverly Loughlin, which is um, Jim Hoskins' film, I'm a big fan of Jim Hoskins, as some people might know, who did The Greasy Strangler, it's very much in the same vein as An Evening with Beverly Loughlin. Um, I think Jermaine Clement in particular is hilarious, but it's that essentially strand of humour. So I think this is fine, and I think this is funny-ish in parts, but I don't think it sustains a whole idea, and I definitely can't see how it sustains a whole um, uh, season or three seasons. I, I got what they were doing within a few minutes, and then it's just more of that. Um, like you'd say, I think, you know, normally this would be something that would be in a bigger sketch show when sketch shows were a thing. Um, so, yeah, funny-ish. Yeah. Didn't I, I have thought, me rolling I thought it was weak. Aisles. I thought it was a weak source, I have to say. Oh, Yeah. I thought the funniest thing about it was that um, the character of the officer is called Kyle Minogue. That made me laugh. Um, but I thought it was downhill from there. I, the problem with these things is because I think um, I think what we do in the shadows, both the film and the TV series, are are are, are great, really mm. consistently funny. And I think what we do in the shadows, the TV series has it has this cast: Kay Van Novak, Matt Berry, Natasha Dimitriou. They're all brilliantly funny people working at the top of their game with I think quite finely honed scripts and each episode of, of what we do in the shadows is a night is a, is a kind of little gem and I don't and I think the problem with this kind of comedy is if you if you even take your eye off the ball just a little bit and if you kind of um relax into it it, it, it just completely loses the, the, the wit and it completely loses the laughs. And I didn't laugh. I didn't even come close to laughing in this episode, I have to say, the first episode of Wellington Paranormal. I was really disappointed. And I think it's like, and as you're, you're right, it's got the tone of Jermaine Clement yeah. and Taika Waititi's stuff, but it hasn't got the jokes. It just They're just not there. It's just and, and, and the jokes that it has got feel very old and tired and weak and kind of one note. And it's kind and, and so and kind of the joke is, you know, yeah, these people are idiots and they don't really understand that, you know, there's paranormal stuff happening in the background of, of shots. That happens a lot. That joke is made consistently throughout the whole episode. How many times is there something funny and weird and paranormal going on in the background while the doofus cops are in the foreground telling us that they explaining they don't understand what's going on? Um it, I just, it just, I just thought it was not funny enough at all, and I, and I am equally amazed that it's made it into, made it into three seasons. Maybe it just gets better, and they work harder on it. But for me, it felt like, it, like a first draft of a of a Taika Waititi, Jermaine Clement project. Now, as you know, my hatred of comedy burns brighter than the brightest sun. 
And yet I will say, I was giggling like a oh, lunatic no. within about 30 seconds of, of this starting. I really, really, really liked it. I thought it was genius. I mean, I, don't, I haven't kept genius. up with it. I did, I did. And I, don't, I wonder whether it's, there's just something about, and I would say it's, it's YTTS, but it's not. I do think it's just a natural sort of Kiwi mean in that there's this sort of, sort of slightly very overtly polite, quite kind of, you know, there's a calmness to it. Like there's a there's a polite sort of stoicism to the kind of the, the sort of the Kiwi personality. And I just think it lends itself beautifully to this brilliantly deadpan absurdist humour, which runs all the way through Thor Ragnarok, like Waititi brought it to that. You know, I loved it in Hunt for the Wilder People and what we do in the shadows as well. And I'd had a fucking terrible day yesterday and I wasn't really looking forward to watch, watching this. And I put it on and genuinely, I was even the first scene with the two, I was like, I was just tittering away. I was like, this is really funny. And I wow. found it incredibly charming. I thought they were massively likeable. I loved the bit when you've got Minogan O'Leary, like, you know, being interviewed on camera and just kind of side-eyeing each other and contradicting each other um i really loved marco pohatu as their kind of their police captain the guy who sets up this paranormal division in this broom cupboard and yet look the jokes are not particularly sophisticated i don't think you know it's not the jokes itself that are like you know like blackadder sort of cuttingly sharp it's just a combination of this beautiful sort of like lovely amiable deadpan delivery and this background of absolute absurdity going on around them like the fact that they're meeting this woman in the street she's obviously possessed she's throwing up her hair standing on end she's basically levitating superhuman strength and they're just being terribly polite she's going well she's cleaning not not very well we should probably get an ambulance in here and it's just it's just it's just really super charming and i thought i'm definitely going to want to watch more of this because i came out of this at the end of it and i was just so happy and pleased that i'd seen yeah. it it actually it, it massively improved my day i think this is kind of a phenomenon in new zealand because they did a series of kind of infomercial shorts about COVID, you know, social distancing and whatnot. And it is O'Leary and Minogue delivering them and they're absolutely genius. One thing that came out of this that made me love this show even more than I did already was one of the writers from the show responded on Twitter, Nick Ward at Wood of Kings. And he said, an interesting fact in the first series he wrote, uh, there's an episode, Things That Do the Bump in the Night. He came up with a joke after listening to Chris Hewitt say Helen O'Hara in a Northern Irish accent. And this is absolutely oh true. God. There is a scene where there's bloody writing on the mirror and it was inspired by Helen O'Hara. So, you know, I'm not saying that I like the show because wow. it's tangentially about <laughs> me, but, uh, you know. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> God. I really enjoyed it. I thought it was great. That and is I, amazing. I loved oh, it. I feel so, bad now. I didn't so, like yeah, it. Yeah. Mm. So, you know, weird, you've made an it? enemy for life there, boy. <laughs> Oh god, sorry. <laughs> but I yeah, I thought it was I thought it was loads of fun Wellington Paranormal. I don't think it's quite on the level with the what we do in the Shadows TV series, to be fair, but I I thought it was great. I think they're super charming and I liked it a lot. I recommend that you watch Wellington Paranormal and it starts uh on Monday at nine o'clock on Sky Comedy. Now in the five minutes we have left, we will get on to the last show this week, which is Channel 5's Intruder, which stars Tom Meaton and Elaine Cassidy as Sam and Rebecca, a couple whose evening is rudely interrupted by unwanted intruders when a pair of would-be burglars break in and try to make off with their telly. Uh, unfortunately for Sam, he catches the thieves in the act and in the struggle ends up stabbing one of the teenagers to death. Boyd, is this any good? Yeah, I think it's really good, actually. It's the latest um, Channel 5 drama event. It's stripped across four nights like Blood, which is, of course, Blood is the Blood and Blood 2, if you like, where the, uh, the peak 
of Channel 5 um, thriller drama events. But this is from Gareth Tunley, um, who wrote and directed previous one, Cold Call, which is also for Channel 5, um, and also starred Sally Lindsay. She's in this as the family police family liaison officer. She's in that role, so she has to deal She has to deal with the kid who's killed, the, the robber, the thief who was killed, and deal with his really tragic father, who's st- shocked and stunned by the fact that his seemingly talented young boy has ended up killed as, as a result of intruding into someone's house to try and steal stuff um and she also liaises with the people who, who with the with the guy who killed him and that's this isn't a spoiler this is the premise of the show the mm. guy who stabbed him while he was trying to escape and wasn't posing no threat to him by the way and he stabs him in let's face it a cocaine fueled rage because they've had a night of like and they've had the ultimate middle class media poncy dinner party from hell where they gather with a bunch of bellends and talk about what's <laughs> talk about Brexit and snort mm. cocaine. Mm. And I thought it was really entertaining that cunningly they've somehow made you, and I think this is quite radical for mainstream you know, television, they've made you feel sorry for the thieves, and particularly, obviously, the one who dies, and they made you absolutely despise the, in quotes, victims of the robbery, of this domestic robbery, of this intrusion into the house, because they're absolute bellends to their media, privileged, conceited, arrogant, obnoxious, twats and he brilliant and i love this detail the um, tom means character works for an lbc style radio show and has his own like where he can rant about you know about woke people and stuff in a barely disguised the logo of the station i can't remember what is it like lac or whatever yeah and he's yeah, literally it that channel it looks mm. exactly the same it's so funny that really made me laugh i think it's a really clever idea to, to to kind of flip the flip you know your what who, who you're rooting for and i think um the the performance is really interesting i think tom Whitney usually does kind of comedic stuff it's great sally Lindsay is the earthy soulful character in the middle of it all and she's always great in that role i i and i've watched two episodes absolutely gripped need to know how it all plays out in the end there's complications about involving everyone everyone has secrets and lies that come tumbling out this i think channel 4 is doing this stuff really really well this is not the best example of it channel 5 is doing this stuff really well this isn't the best one but it's definitely a i thought really entertaining amusing and quite and i don't know how it's going to play out so i i thought it was better than cold call um i have to say and i i I am with you on the sympathies are really interesting. The people are hateful. You hate them immediately. Oh, here I am taking cocaine in my big house with my <laughs> yeah. irritating friends talking about politics. Classic middle class media wankers. Oh, like us probably. But um, yeah. <laughs> they, I thought they set that up really well. It's really weird because Helen Behan, who I love, who's um, a Shane Meadows find, is in This Is England. Um, she she talks with a really deep, like, is it a, a, a Essex accent or something? Yeah, um, I think so. Anyway, yeah. completely yeah. through me. But um, it really reminded me of the case of Tony Martin, the farmer mm. who shot a robber in the back. And this yeah. is a similar thing where it's, um, it's you can't argue it's self-defence. There are a few believability issues for me so when it comes to and i'm not going to say anything that will be a spoiler but there's somebody there's a question of who takes responsibility for having um committed the act of doing the stabbing and there's some believability issues for me around that but i think this is a really interesting setup i've only seen the first episode there's a couple of interesting subplots um between um some of the characters there's a potential affair going on I'm kind of, I found the first episode very intriguing, um, really compelling. 
I think all of the actors are great. It's a really great ensemble. The tension was built brilliantly. Um, I thought this was a really strong start. Um, I'm definitely going to keep watching this. We are basically out of time, so all I'm going to say is, not for me, my snobbery is in full effect and would have been greatly enhanced by the inclusion of Bazool of the Unholy Realm. Oh. I understand it might be a bit populist for your tastes, James. That is precisely what it is. Yes. I'm not saying you prejudged the whole thing, but yeah, you Oh yeah, I, I went into this knowing that I wouldn't yeah. like it. But anyway. Unbelievable. Well, so anyway, that was Intruder. It is on Channel 5, Monday, April 5th, 9pm. Um, we should very quickly cover off a couple of other things before we go. Terry and I are officially late for a meeting already. Uh, also coming out this week, The Grinder um, comes to Fox UK, a.k.a. The Mausoleum for all cancelled American TV shows. Uh, this is not, as it kind of first sounds, a show about hookup apps, but rather has Rob Lowe as an actor returning to his hometown after his long-running TV show, The Grinder, in which he plays a lawyer, uh, ends. And of the opinion that because he played one on TV, he can play one in real life, he begins the practice of law. Unfortunately, and this got really good reviews, but this got, um, like its namesake, it was uh, it was cancelled back in 2016, having lasted just 22 episodes. So it comes to Fox UK on April 7th. If you wish to watch all that exists of The Grinder, go for it. Uh, another cancelled show is Filthy Rich. This one's coming to Star, which is also has its collection of cancelled shows. Uh, and this is Kim Cattrall as a co-founder of the Sunshine Network, which is a Christian TV network based in Louisiana. Uh, her husband and co-founder dies, and there's a power struggle for the network. This one lasted 10 episodes, but was axed last year. Partly, apparently, on account of not being very good. Um, <laughs> anything else happening, Boyd, before yeah, we go? The 90-minute Louis Theroux Joe Exotic documentary, which is on ah! Easter Monday, Easter Monday, 9 o'clock PBS 2. I would have forced us to review it, but it wasn't ready yet. Uh, There's also one more thing, the National Theatre Romeo and Juliet production, which they've turned into a kind of made-for-TV event on Sky Arts um, now with Jesse Buckley and Josh O'Connor is also on this weekend. Okay. Pick of the week? Oh, them. Them. Them, them, them. And that is it. We're done. That is it for this chocolate fueled episode of the Pilot TV podcast. As ever, we will happily accept your five-star ratings of the show, but we'd much rather have chocolate eggs if you can spare them. Uh, we've yet to be handed off social media and can be found at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. Next week, I strongly suspect we'll be taking a look at Da Vinci drama Leonardo on Amazon Prime, among probably some other shows um but if you'll excuse me there is a dairy milk egg the size of a small hippo with my name on it and the thing isn't going to eat itself pilot out <laughs>